The fact that someone in a suit in D.C. says, I don't want some kid in Arizona to know who Plutarch is, that should be enough to fire you up to get you to read Plutarch. You are listening to And If Love Remains, a unique show spotlighting people, ideas, science, culture, and art. Your host, Mike Lovett. Mike Lovett. got that right rachel you are listening to that great podcast in the sky and if love remains i am your host mike levitt and we have <laughs> the king of liberty who i like the to king, call the king of, find ironic. oxymoron yeah exactly. <laughs> right the teacher of liberty um the man the machine i love having this guy on joe wolverton dr joe wolverton welcome to the show glad to have you back on Man, this is my favorite uh, podcast to do. It's the it's really honestly hand to heaven the only podcast where I can say everything I really think. Um, you know when I when I'm in the gulag, this is they're going to point to this as the reason, <laughs> and I'll be in there with you. <laughs> right when I'm you know when I'm in the orange jumpsuit down in Guantanamo, <laughs> and I'm like, hey, why did y'all do this? And they're like, come on, man, we saw the podcast. Come right, on. right, right. We we listen. No, <laughs> we listen to End of Love Remains with everybody else. We, yeah, we do. I have to tell you, you talking about the machine. You know, have you ever seen that Burt Kreischer thing about the Russian mob and the machine? Oh, that's yes, yes. Okay, well, the funny thing is that <laughs> I actually had a run in, not with the Russian mob, but with the Russian army. Uh, yeah, it's when I was a kid, and we went to a Boy Scout camp, and we went to Boy Scout camp in East Germany. Oh, now, okay. Okay, this is 1986, 87. I can't remember exactly. And so it's one of those things. It's like, um, we, it's no one today can understand. It was a bit, and my father's job made it really tricky because I had a special passport. It, it made it tricky, right? The instant someone who knew it, your average run of the mill, you know, East German soldier's not going to know the difference. It's a blue passport, you're American, whatever. Right, but it was tricky for me and and to get places. And so anyway, we finally the the East German army comes on the train at the border. But now you know there's two borders because Berlin, West Berlin, belonged to us and to the French and to the British and to the Russians. And so anyway, or to the British Russians and to us. Anyway, long story short, we we get to. To French, British, and us. The Russians owned East Berlin. And when we get there to East Germany, out in the forest of East Germany, a couple of my friends and I are like, let's go exploring at night when we're supposed to be asleep in our tent. And it seemed like a great idea. And then we get, actually, we literally get arrested by uh, East German police, East German soldiers. We get taken to a holding facility and held until their Russian overlords show up and yeah so they're freaking out at the camp because it becomes daylight and we're nowhere to be found oh man i mean we finally they finally uh because and there are no cell phones you got to realize this is like yeah yeah and so who do we call i'm not fixing to call my mom or dad and say you know hey guess what i did 
Right. Um, Can you come bail me out of East Germany? <laughs> my dad, that would have lost him his job. And so, oh, man. And so I'm just like, and so finally, long story short, but every time I think, when you say that, the machine, I think that guy has that story about the Russian mob. And I was literally like uh, detained by the Russian army. <laughs> in oh my East gosh. Germany. That's insane. What a great story. I mean, now it's insane. I mean, story. <laughs> yeah, now it, yeah, it all's well, it ends well. And, and, uh, yeah, we ended up, they, as the day wore on that we were able to communicate with the Russian, the East Germans couldn't speak English. The, the, the Russian, uh, guy, the highest ranking Russian guy could speak English pretty well. We were able to, to tell him who we were, that we weren't, you know, we weren't up to no good. We were just genuinely uniformed, sir. <laughs> yeah. That's a boy scout uniform. Man. And so, but we weren't even in uniform. We were just, you know, dressed like, cause you were yeah. supposed to be going to sleep and you were we're just, just like, you were just in all black. I mean, come on. Yeah. Right. What the, we took some charcoal. We, you know, right. No, but it, it's just funny when you said that. It made me think of that guy's story about the Russian mob, and then I'm like, I got arrested by the Russian army. It's pretty cool. Oh, but, that, I mean, it's that, cool now. It's cool now, right? You know, it's definitely that's that's definitely one of those uh, uh, two truths and a lie stories that. You- <laughs> I I know I have this friend, and she's like, dude, you're you own two truths and a lie. You've had right? the most bizarre <laughs> life ever, and. I'm like, yeah, I just need to play it more often for money. <laughs> right. You know what? You know, I got to tell you, telling that story makes me think of, you know, the how quickly things change. Because, you know, like my yeah. kids, they don't have a clue of what we're even talking about when we talk about East Germany or the Berlin mm-hmm. Wall or, or yeah. you know, the, the you know, how many servicemen, you know, served over oh, the course yeah. of the Cold War and yeah. all that stuff. And I, I, I. I think about that, you know, 19, what was 1989 Berlin wall mm-hmm. incident and, mm-hmm. um, I, and how that all went down. And, 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 you know, it, it turns out like after, after all is said and done, it was a bunch of like East Berlin partiers that misunderstood a, an order and, and just said, no, didn't take no for answer. They, they just said, we're coming through. And that's yeah. what broke down the wall. It was, you know, people say it was, you know, Reagan and, you know, Gorbachev and all this stuff. And there was definitely things that, that led right. to that yeah. moment, but it yeah. was ultimately it was the people that just said, you guys no, we're not taking it yeah. anymore. Yeah. The weird thing about, you know, that wall was such an important thing in growing up. I, uh, you know, growing up, I grew up in Western Europe, uh, most of the time in, in Frankfurt, Germany. And I was telling a group of kids yesterday that, you know, that was, we were studying Trenchard and Gordon where they say, you know, act, now act honestly and and uh, boldly for liberty or forget its glorious and charming sound. And I said, you know, that word sound is interesting. What sound does liberty have? I said, you know what sound liberty has? Silence. That's what that's the sound of liberty is silence. Because when I was a kid growing up in Europe, every day when it, when a when a jet would fly over, just every one of my friends, we would look up to make sure it wasn't Russian. I mean, we literally thought if that's Russian, we're dead. And wow. we would look up and we all knew how to identify. I mean, can you imagine a bunch of 16 year old kids? We knew a MIG from an F-16. You shouldn't know that. I hope my children never know the difference. Um, but I would we would be in school and at least during my four years of high school, I would say. Four, maybe five times uh, terrorists bombed our school complex 
And so you hear that go off and you know, okay, it's time to, you know, we have to react. I would go out in the morning to get in the car to drive to school once I got my license and my mom would stand, you know, stand at the door and say, don't forget to check under your car because I have to check under my car for a bomb because if someone clocked me as an American, you know, and so uh, the sound of liberty is silence and kids and, you know, we would we would literally hear something unusual in the air and we'd be like, we'd look up to make sure there was no, you know, missile. And we had you know, we had air raid um, drills at school regularly. Like I say, we had several terrorist attacks at our school. Um, the fun, I went to school with the, the daughters of uh, Colin Powell. They were my friends. His two daughters were the same age as me, and they were friends of mine. And we were at his office having lunch when he was the commanding officer of Fifth Corps in Europe. We were having lunch, and the alarm goes, they bombed the building. Wow. And so it's like, when I think of those, these kids today have no concept, and I'm happy they have no concept. Right. I'm happy, but I'm also, and I told these kids, the point of that story is not to point out how, not just to point out how blessed you are to know, to, I said, what wakes you up in the morning? And she's like, my mom's saying it's time to get up. Well, we have roosters and they wake us up because there's some farm kids in the group. And I'm like, that's so much better than your mom saying, don't forget to check under the car for bombs. Right. You know? Yeah. It's so sure. much better. And I said, the point that Trenchard and Gordon made is that, you know, that's a uh, Liberty. We, we purchased that on in, in an installment plan, you know, and we have missed a lot of payments and it's being repoed, man. Uh, yeah. And we've missed a lot of payments and it's time we start paying. And so I, uh, you know, I think about that, you, you know, you saying your kids know nothing of it. I'm so happy they don't, but we gotta, we gotta do some heavy lifting or they one day they'll know worse than that, you know? Right. And, and, you know, I, I I'm really proud and happy to, um, you know, you know, announce and, and talk about, you know, some of the things that you're doing right now in that great cause, you know, one of the, one of the organizations that has been around for decades, I, you know, I, I don't know how long it's been around, but you know, longer than my lifetime for sure. Yeah. Um, 65 years. Yeah. 65 years. Yeah. So a whole lot longer than my lifetime. Yeah, right. Exactly. So much longer. <laughs> so much longer. No, but, uh, um, is is the John Birch Society, and and they are an amazing organization. They've always been, you know, at the forefront of liberty issues. Um, sometimes they kind of go under the radar, but but man, they're they. I think that they they have always done great work, and they've always been true to uh, you know a lot of great principles. And um and and you've been a, a contributing a contributor to their magazine, the New American, for a long time. Um. And, and I think you, you have some, some new news about that, that you've taken on a new role with them. Is that right? Yeah. Um, I've been, you know, writing for the new American since 2004. Um, yeah. So 20 years. And, um, so recently they asked me to rewrite some scripts that they're using for a video, a couple of video series they use one about, a constitutional convention under article five and one about one, basically an intro to the constitution, the principles upon which it is founded called uh, the constitution is the solution. And so that we're redoing those things. And so they brought me up to their headquarters to, um, to film those for a week. It, it 
it took four hours. They thought it was going to take a week, but it took four hours. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, it's funny you talk about the, you know, how long they've been around because it makes me think in the town where I was born, uh, Osceola, Arkansas, there used to be this giant, it's right outside of Memphis, right? It's in the Memphis metro area. And there used to be this giant, get us out of the UN billboard, right? Which was, which was one of the John Birch Society's big, big uh, programs. It still is, right. but it was once huge. Right. And um, so it was right outside my hometown. It's not there anymore. But the, the man, the doctor who delivered me was the head of the JBS in that area. And so literally the first mortal hands that touched me were, were John Birch society hands. <laughs> and, um, and I, you know, I, I just, my parents knew people who were big into that. And so I, I was exposed to it as very young. And then when I went to college, I really got into it. And yeah. So anyway, when I was up there, they ended up having a meeting with me and I, I didn't know this was going on. I, I was innocent. I, I was just doing whatever I was there. They, you know, put me up in a hotel for a week. And, and anyway, at the end of the week, they, they held a big meeting and informed me that they had created a job for me, a full-time employment position. Uh, and they have named me their constitutional law scholar. And they've never had that before. And the, for me, Mike, and you know, I know that you have history with the JBS as well. For an organization like that to say that you're our point man for the Constitution is huge. Yes. That that honor, I can't, it's inexplicable honor, you know, to say, hey, you're the guy. And so they brought me on with the Constitutional Law Scholar and they created a think tank and they're like, let's Let's bring all, let's tighten everything up. Let's make sure everything we do is more constitutionally sound, more, uh, you know, just correct historically and constitutionally. Bring younger people in. Let's get, you know, let's get on Instagram. Let's get on TikTok. And let's, let's expand this, but let's tighten up everything. And so, yeah, the big news is being officially employed by, you know, the John Birch Society as their constitutional law scholar. And I'm so... You know, I'm so proud of the organization because if you go there and you're, you know, I've had people say to me since announcing this, they're like, well, you don't agree with everything the John Birch Society says. And that's true. But I also don't agree with everything I say. So, right. you know, there are times when I say something like, did I just say that rubbish out loud? So, but, but um, there are so many things that I do agree with. And I, and to their credit, they give me, you know, I'm off the leash with them. They're just like, you just run free. And, and uh, they hired me to do the thing I do, which is to familiarize people with not only the text of the Constitution, the meaning of the text, the, uh, the, the sources from which our founding fathers drew those principles and do that stuff that I do that no one else does. And that's the great thing. There's just that vacuum there and we can fill it. And they, if you're, and look, they don't pay, it's like the publisher the other day, he's like, Hey, we got, I put that video up and he's like, Hey, we got some people joining the society that mentioned that, you know, they saw you make a video and, and I'm like, that's awesome. And, and he's like, we're, we're going to hire you to be a, a, whatever. I forgot what the title they use for their like area recruiting guys. Right. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I would be rubbish at that. But, um, he, the point is I don't get paid for that. 
and they don't care if I don't bring anybody in. But for people that watch your show, um, I, I know that they would find somewhere to fit in. And not only that, I mean, the arsenal of the John Birch Society is enormous. There are weapons in there for any cause, whatever your personal thing is, freedom of religion, uh, you know, immigration, um, uh, freedom, uh, state sovereignty, the Fourth Amendment, whatever your thing is, they have weapons in their arsenal for you to use. That's the first thing. And the second thing is there are so many leadership opportunities because so many people want to join, but so few people want to lead. And so if you're a person who thinks I could be a good leader and you are persistent and consistent, you'll find leadership opportunities granted to you by the John Birch Society. And I mean, I met a guy when I was up there, I met they had these people come in and meet me and, and I, I would sign, you know, they had copies of my book and I would sign it and they were, gosh, one of them's like, I was a month ago, I joined the John Birch Society and now I'm on the staff as one of their regional whatever, because when they see that you're consistent and persistent, they promote you because they want that kind of person because a lot of people join and do nothing, you know? Right. And so they want consistency and persist. And this guy was like, I, you know, I'm just amazed that all, you know, all I had to do was be true to this. And, and like I say, you won't, you don't go, at least me, I don't join thinking, well, this is a, a clone of my brain. What I do is I say, I'm going to, and, and the reason I ultimately ever did join is because I said, okay, this is who I am. I want resources. And these right. guys, like you say, they're 65 years doing this. And Mike, I was up there at their headquarters. And one of the ladies who's also from Memphis who works for them, she's like, you got to go down to their library and check it out. And I did. And brother, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, yeah. just the material that I, I have a, a, database of how many books I own. And it's like at 2000, dude, that wouldn't take up a shelf in their library. I mean, it's massive and it's every subject you can imagine. And books back from, you know, the 1920s going forward and just powerful. And this is the thing. It's like, they are so willing to share that information. It's just a matter of People need to understand the John Birch Society, whatever you think of it, why don't you let it uh, merit its own reputation with you? If you are someone who values the Constitution or someone who's a libertarian, even an anarchist, they have so much. They just produced a what they call bookazine. It's, it's a standalone sort of, you know, how you'll go to like, um, like Walgreens and the magazine section. And it'll have those Time Magazine presents the Founding Fathers, that kind of thing, right? So they've produced one on self-reliance. And it's just, and I wrote one of the articles. I wrote, of course, in my wheelhouse, the Founding Fathers and what they believed about self-reliance. But there's so many like real world applications that are there. You can even buy it today. It doesn't go on sale in the bookshops and everything until December, but if you go to like the new slash 
shop or store. I can't remember which one it is. But if you go to thenewamerican.com and click on store, it's available there. And that's like the thing that I'm saying. And there's so, and they'll have underneath there, you might like these titles as well. So it's not just, it isn't, I think it gets the rap of being conservative Republican organization. And there are conservative Republicans who are parts of it. But then there's people like me, you know, and you and right. other people who are much, much more uh, free thinking than that, let's right. say. <laughs> yeah. And but again, the Tenth Amendment section in their library is enormous. Well, see, and know? I think that that's one of the great, you know, benefits of the John Birch Society that I that I've experienced. You know, I, I had a short stint with them when I was in high school. Um, but the 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 what I experienced was nothing but just like knowledge. Like it, they were a knowledge base yeah, and, yeah. and they were an information source. And if, if, you know, if I had a question about something, you know, I could always go to those resources, to those people, um, you know, and they always had answers. And, and um, I think, I think it's such a valuable thing to like, like you said, you know, anybody, anybody who has, um, who's part of the freedom movement, a part of the yeah. liberty movement, um, can benefit from the resources that the John Birch Society has. Um, yeah, and you can join any. I mean, you know, it's like I said in the video where I announced it on YouTube. It's like you can join join any or who cares? Join them all. Right. Like, why would you? It's like if you're in a, a war, which I believe we are. If you're in a war, and you've got allies offering you weapons, you use them. You don't you don't sit down with the allies and discuss philosophy. And you say, well, I noticed that you guys have this policy and we disagree. No, if they're saying, here, have these weapons for your war, why wouldn't you use them? Right. You don't sit down. You know, if, if someone, the old analogy by one of my mentors, Hugh Nibley, is like if, if someone hands you a diamond and says, hey, this is a diamond, you're not going to say, okay, well, let me, let's sit down. Let me do a background check on you. Uh, let me discuss what you think about these religious principles. No, you're going to take that diamond to a gemologist. If it's a diamond, you don't care that guy's background, right? right. You're great. You're grateful to have the diamond. And so to me, there are those people who treat the John Birch Society and the John Birch Society offers this diamond and they say, hmm, well, we don't agree with your stance on X. Dude, take the weapons. Who cares? There'll be a time. There will come a time when we've defeated these enemies of ours, the enemies of liberty, there will come a time when all of us who fought together can sit down and say, now, let's talk philosophically about X or Y or Z. That time isn't now, right? Right. Like uh, I, I used to, when I was in law school, I worked for this ecumen ecumenical council, and we were fighting pornography. And it was me you know, representing the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It was Baptists and Lutherans and Presbyterians and Catholics and Muslims and all these people. We worked together. And no one ever sat there and said, hmm, I don't agree with your concept of the Trinity. No one did that right. because it's irrelevant when it comes to, dis to fighting pornography. There will come a day when we can have all those discussions. So anybody in the liberty movement, anybody who's wants to see the needle move toward individual liberty, I would say the John Birch Society is your best source, not only for, for information, for education, but also your best avenue toward 
leadership opportunities, which isn't that what you want? At the end of the day, don't we all want to be influencers, so to speak, not not social media influencers, but <laughs> you know, opinion makers? We want to be shot callers, right? We all want to be shot callers. And so I think the opportunity to do that with the John Birch site and just the overwhelming amount of material. I just I'm writing this book for them on Article Five, and one of their research guys the other night just blew me up with so much material that I needed in part that I was writing and had it at fingertips, you know, stuff from the 50s and 60s that I never I wouldn't have been able to find on my own through a Google search. It would have taken it. It'd be like finding, you know, a needle in a haystack. But this guy, that's what he does. He goes down to the library you know, takes pictures of it all, sends it to me and boom, it's done. And you can you do know, that with anything. I, and I, let's go there for a second because they brought you on really to, to talk about, you know, to, to, you know, as you said, tighten, tighten things up as far as constitutional yeah. issues and, and yeah. make sure that, that, uh, you know, um, you'll bring your expertise to that table. Right. Um, and so let's, I, it's funny, hear a little inside information for those who are listening, you know, Joey and I are good friends. And so like our pre-game, our pre, our pre-show game is more like, Hey, what's up? You know? And yeah. so we have no idea what we're going to talk about for the most part, but Hey, let's go there. Talk about article five. Like why, I know that there are many in the conservative movement that think like a convention of states would be a good idea, you know, led by guys like Mark Levin and, and people like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, I know a lot of people, um, you know, think that that would be a good idea. Um, tell me the, the counter to that. What, what is, you know, what is, the, what are the dangers and, and why should we avoid, uh, you know, doing an article five convention? Right. Well, the first reason is, is they are uncontrollable. The, a convention of the people, a convention of states, it's uncontrollable because if you're looking in Article 5, the thing, you know, the thing that the groups that support it never point out is they, they talk about how safe they are. Well, there are no rules. So can you imagine if, if we call a convention of the states – can you imagine the delegates that New York and California might send? Because look, there are no rules. There's nothing that says you have to be a citizen. These states can decide, but well, state like it, and even if there were rules, I mean, we have experience with that with with the Articles of Confederation. I mean, they well, weren't right. Supposed to- that's <laughs> right, and that's what I was going to get to next. But you yeah. imagine sitting there, and New York says, "Okay, we want George Soros and Hillary Clinton yeah. sitting at that table." Right. There's nothing you and I can do. Nothing we can do about that. Nothing COS. Gavin Newsom wants a, con- a convention of the states to abolish the Second Amendment as far as the right of an individual to keep and bear arms. Now, look, there's nothing anybody could do to keep Gavin Newsom from that table. What about Bill Gates, who wants to vaccinate the world and who wants to sterilize the third world? There's literally nothing anyone could do to keep him from sitting at that table. And people, it it astounds me that conservatives principally, they recognize the undue influence of this wealth of Soros and Bill Gates, and they're constantly warning about it. But then they support an Article 5 convention. I'm like, guys, those two individuals are not going to sit back and not 
have a hand in rewriting the American Constitution. There's no right. way. Right. Because I remember speaking at the UN in 2011. I was the only, or 12, 12. I was the only person speaking at that. You know, you've seen that picture of the UN where people, I'm standing there. I'm the only guy speaking in favor of an individual right to keep and bear arms. And you get the guy from Peru, the ambassador from Peru, who says the only, or Peru, Spain, who says the only thing standing between global disarmament is the American Second Amendment. He's like, once we get rid of that, it'll be so much easier. And so in my mind, that says, well, there's a lot of people who agree with that and nothing can stop them. There's nothing. If you're going to be bound by the Constitution, man, you got to be bound. You can't be, as my grandma used to say, you can't be pig and puppy. If you're going to waller in the mud, you can't get in my lap and be petted. Right. And so if you're going to say the Constitution is the thing, that's fair enough, but the Constitution has no rules. Now, getting to the, even if there were rules, right, we had a capital C Constitution before the one we have now. And and COS is so funny. They, they never called it the Constitution. Literally hundreds of references to them calling the Articles of Confederation the Constitution because it was. And you look at February, if you want to write this down out there, for those of you in Rio Linda, if you want to write this down, February 21st, 1787, Congress says, okay, things have gotten, you know, pe people in Congress have made a motion to have a convention of the states. Let's do this. And, but we're going to set some rules. You are only allowed and you only, the only authority you have at this convention is to recommend alterations to the Articles of Confederation. You send those recommendations to Congress and whatever we approve, we'll send to the states and whatever they approve. If all of them approve as the articles required, then they become part of the Articles of Confederation. Simple as bada boom, bada bing. They had, art, they had a, a method for amending that constitution. Literally day one. Mike, Edmund Randolph stands up and throws the bloody rules just out the window. First thing they did was say, okay, let's keep everything secret. Well, that's great. Right. right? Everybody knows if you if politicians are going to sit down and do something <laughs> in secret, nothing bad could happen. So the first right. rule is secrecy, which Thomas Jefferson wrote. James Madison says, that troubles me a bit. You know what you guys doing? That, that's a little, a little red flag is the kids were say, right? Red flag, Jimmy doing it all in secret. And then it's like, you know, the governor of Virginia and, and, you know, to be transparent, James Madison wrote it. The governor of Virginia stands up and says, here's our plan, a 16 point plan, completely abolishing the article of federation, replacing it with an entirely new constitution, an entirely new form of government, and then moving the goalpost and saying, yeah. And instead of all 13 states having to agree, how about nine? Moving the guys, if you do, and so when the con, the COS, the Convention of States people, they often say the, the Convention of 1787 was not a runaway convention. It certainly was. It certainly was. And even, and I wrote an article, Mike, if y'all want to go to the New American and search Convention of States, they'll have a hashtag at the bottom. And if you click on that hashtag, you can see all the articles I've written on the subject, which is thousands of articles. And one of the things that I wrote very recently is how Governor Morris said the thing everybody was thinking, but he said it out loud near the end of the convention because 
people were saying, well, when we send this out to the states, Congress is never going to approve this. And Governor Morrison said, we're above Congress. We're above the Articles of Confederation. This convention is above all of that and has nothing to do with that. And we can do whatever we want. And as long as the states approve it the way we say, Congress can stuff it because we're going to replace them anyway. He said the silent part out loud, Mike. And I wrote, and that's the thing. It's like, why? And again, all that, all that risk, it's not even, it's beyond risk. It's like, all you have to do is look at history. History is, you know, prelude, right? Right. And so you look at that history and you know that will happen. You know, people like Bill Gates and George Soros and Gavin Newsom and Hillary Clinton, all of them will be involved. Right. Because as, as runaway as that convention was, um, there was still a modicum of, of restraint. At the end of um, the day, you had people like George Washington and James Madison and yeah. Luther Martin and Roger Sherman and James Wilson and Benjamin Franklin. Nobody that would be at that convention today could hold the jockstrap of any one of those guys. Right. When it comes to virtue and knowledge. Nobody. Nobody. I mean, when I have students say, well, you could go there and we'd be safe. No, you wouldn't. Because it's so much power. Yeah. You shouldn't put that kind of power in anybody's hands, particularly today when I don't know many people. I don't know anyone that I would trust to sit there, including myself. And so because well, I might have my favorite things, too, that, well, I'm tinkering with it for the good. Well, they're all going to say that. Right. Right. And and especially, you know, today we, when you talk about the, the power um, balance, imbalance, I guess I should say, you know, because we've lived in a society so long that has not been free, that has been corporatism, that has been um, a cronyism. We haven't had a free market in over 100 years. Right. Um, you know, because all that wealth and all that power, and, and I don't mean to sound like a total leftist here, but it's true. All that wealth and all that power has been concentrated into a powerful few whose yeah. goal is to subjugate the populace. They will, they will not, they will make, you will come out just like they did in 1787. When that gavel sounds that convention closed, you'll have a new form of government and a new constitution. And I do not relish the role of, I told you so, right? I don't want to be the most principal man in the, in the gulag, right? Right. That, that doesn't appeal to me The martyr. I don't have a martyr syndrome. I, I want to. I want us to win, and I want us to win on the front end, and win face to face, and and we can do this because guess what? We have a Tenth Amendment. Right. We need the states as creators of the Constitution, as creators of the founding of the federal government, can refuse and have a duty, an obligation, according to. Madison and Jefferson and Washington and Hamilton and Franklin and Wilson, right? They have an obligation to refuse to enact or enforce any unconstitutional act of the federal government. Now, the fact that they're not doing it is irrelevant because they can do it. And you could, we could all do that in a year, Mike. We have, all of us have assemblies, state assemblies, and we could all fill that state assembly with people that understand that each one of them 
as a requirement for serving as a state legislator, have to swear an oath under Article 6 to support the Constitution. Well, if we enforce that and we get people in there who take oaths to God seriously, who take their own word seriously, then we could literally, in one election, every state could redraw its sovereign borders and say, I don't care if, you know, you're in Arizona, so I don't care if New Mexico wants to enforce all these unconstitutional acts of the feds. We're not doing it here. Guess what would happen? Arizona would become a magnet for freedom-loving individuals. Arizona's economy, the Arizona's atmosphere would be so freedom-loving that it would attract any... And so what would happen? The concomitant uh, effect would be that Utah would be like, well, we want some of that. Nevada would be like, we want some of that. We don't... Why is Arizona... Arizona's getting it because they're following the Constitution. And so you have these individuals in all these surrounding states and other states, because obviously information is instant now, you'd have, well, why aren't we getting some of that benefit? What are, what's Arizona doing? And you say, well, all they're doing is enforcing the boundaries of the constitution. And we could all do that. But even the guy who's the, the president of the convention of states movement admits it's 10, at least 10 and probably 25 years until they could have a convention. Could you imagine this country in 25 years if nothing is done? Right. And But he's sitting there saying that. He's like, oh, you know, it's a long game and we have to wait. No, we don't because we can elect legislators today. You know, we could elect legislators in 2024 and rebuild those. And it's a pro-union. It's a pro-constitution, but it's also pro-liberty because the constitution as written and ratified does not infringe on your liberty. Right. And, and that's the key. I, I, I just the other day heard a, um, a little tidbit from Michael Bolden at the 10th Amendment Center talk about, you know, the importance of nullification and the importance that the states have to do that. And, and the, the duties that they have, because if they don't do it, then that that law, those rules, those things become, in, you know, enforceable for, as you say, 25. Years. I mean, how long are we going to deal with tyranny when we could we could end it right now through just a simple nullification bill? Yeah. And it's like if you have we all recognize that this that, you know, the American body politic is has a the tumor of tyranny has developed. We can all agree with that. Right now, if you went to the doctor and you had a tumor and he and he diagnosed the tumor would you prefer him cut it out with a scalpel or with a chainsaw obviously the scalpel right, right. and that's what nullification is nullification says some of this is good tissue some of it's bad we're going to excise the bad tissue the cos people just want to take a chainsaw and chop your arm off right and and tell you it's okay though right uh, it'll grow back, right? It won't, and we'll and, be left without the arm. And then what'll happen? We all know there's going to be that tumor in the left arm that'll have to be cut off. And pretty soon, you know, we'll be like that guy on Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Come back, you coward! You know, right? But and and here's and I, I kind of want to bring it back home a little bit from a standpoint of when, um. Like, what does that mean? And what does that look like? I think, um, for example, right now we are, we're absolutely fighting a proxy war in mm -hmm. Ukraine. 
We're right. fitting to go to war against Iran. We're, yeah. We've got, you know, a bunch of, uh, we're, we're playing games with China right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and there are still uh, recruitment for the military is down and there is selective service envelopes going to every 18 year old right. boy, right. That's you right. know, and if a, if a state were to say, you know what? We we don't acknowledge the selective service. I mean, I think you can do that on an individual basis at your risk. But if a state were to say we know we are not going to help the federal government prosecute people who do not turn in their selective service badges, hmm. we are not going to. We're, we're not. We're just not going to help them do it. They no G men allowed here. I mean, I think so many people would be like, wait a sec. You mean I don't have to send my my son to a foreign war? You know, no. being conscripted by an evil empire. I think a lot of people would take notice to something like that. I think they would too. And I think it builds coalitions that would be, that would shock the establishment. Right. You know, I saw, I saw a meme the other day. It was like, I want to tell your wife, I said, thank you for the apple butter or whatever um Ezekiel and the Ezekiel character says and tell and I want to thank you for the the hemp blankets you gave us star child 69 you know it's like those are the coalitions that would be built right and it would shock the establishment to see us lock arms and say you know no you move as captain america said right yeah i'm, I'm not moving you move and if no, you don't and if you don't move we we have ways of making you move it's so true. I have, you know, my, my brother who is, you know, an avowed communist. Um, it's wonderful to have a conversation with him where he says, you know, it's interesting that only the communists and the libertarians are anti-war right now. Yep. And I said, well, that's because the, only the communists and the, and the libertarians are principled by nature. You know? We're the only ones not making dollars off of it. That's right. But look, look, at the end of the day, Mike... The thing that maybe, no, not maybe, the thing that I think about most is, and and some of your viewers and listeners won't agree, but in my opinion, and I know in yours as well and many other people, I'm going to have to sit down across the table from Jesus one day. There are going to be two chairs in that room, his and mine. And I won't be able to lie and I won't be able to be clever and everything I believe and think will be revealed to him. And I'll be in that place where I'll have to tell the truth. And I don't want to have to find an excuse for my bloodthirstiness. I don't want to say, oh, well, democracy. And he'll be like, uh, no. I don't want to have, you know, and I don't want to have that conversation. I believe right. it's like Hugo Grotius. I know no one's heard of him, but. Hugo Grotius in his book about the rights of war, he writes, don't forget that when you, anything, anything done in an unjust war is unjust per se itself and must be answered for before the God of the universe and must be repented of lest you be condemned for it. Now, that's the type of stuff our fathers used to read, our founding fathers read, you know. They took that stuff very seriously, and it's and and he says, he says, you know, realize that the commandment is, "Thou shalt not kill," 
And he says, think about that. Are there, re- are there justifiable reasons to kill? Yes. But you better make dang sure yours is on that list before you pull that trigger, son. And it doesn't matter what uniform you're wearing. It doesn't matter what you've been told. Shoot that brown person because he hates America. Right? I don't know anything more hateful than to shoot someone because he hates you. Right. I don't care. I, who cares, man? We should be so unconcerned with who doesn't like us. And that's and I'm going to take it back real quick to the John Birch Society. In, you know, in my conversations with the CEO Bill Hahn, who is a remarkable man, insightful and foresightful. He uh he said in his official, so he sent me his bulletin. This is a little inside baseball. JBS every month has a bulletin of like what's going on, what action things you should be doing, and it's wonderful because it's like, hey, this thing is going on. Here's a a sample script you can use to write a letter to your congressman or your governor or whatever. I mean, that's brilliant. And it's like, contact your local chapter leader if you want to, you know, want help putting something together. If you want to go to your state house and and testify at a committee meeting, we can hook that up for you. That's awesome. But uh, Bill Hahn in his December bulletin, he said he write he he sent it to me. He says, "Hey, punch this up. Make sure I got this right." I mean, the CEO of the John Birch Society, and I'm reading it, and he has a whole section in there about, yeah, we're fighting these wars, is proxy wars in Israel and Ukraine, and uh, all these places like. Have we have not learned a lesson about blowback yet? And he has a whole section on that's the John Birch Society, man. The well, John Birch I will Society. Say, the first place I heard of Ron Paul was from the John Birch Society. Ron Paul, man, and yeah, when I worked for him, he loved that I wrote for the New American because it's like he's like those are the people that are going to listen to me, you know, and yeah. and we should because. Anyway, if you're not – the John Birch Society is not one of these people that are going to be like, rah, 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 shoot them all and let God sort them out. That's not constitutional. It's not moral. You know, it's not more – forget the Constitution. It isn't – even if the Constitution said, yeah, you can shoot anybody who hates America, that still wouldn't justify you shooting anybody who hates America because it's immoral. There is a law above – positive law. Right. And so to just be honest, I mean, the John Birch Society recognize, and there are many people who have the reputation that they don't trust me. They do. You could read the December bulletin. If you were a member, if you're a member of the John Birch Society, you'll get that bulletin in the mail or digitally as well. And it'll you'll read, you'll read where he says, the founding fathers said this, the constitution says this, morality says this and blowback you know and so finding that organization i i think a lot of your listeners would be like okay i don't agree for example you may not agree with their whole uh immigration stance for example you know you may not agree and and to be honest they've had me in there having meetings with them and they're not and they're understanding my position and, and everything. And, and my position is there's no federal authority for it. Um, and we, and that's worth discussing because their position is, well, we're being invaded. So there is federal authority for it. 
and that's that's a, a worthwhile discussion. I think sure. I think that's you can have scholarly opinions on that both ways, and they entertained that, and they published my article saying that, and um, you know the 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 title of the article was "There is no federal immigration authority." I mean that's pretty gutsy for an organization to print that maybe feels differently, but. You go in there and you think, I don't agree with that. That's fine, man. Who cares? You're going to go in there. If your deal is, you know, I want to end foreign aid, I want to end foreign wars, dude, you're going to find so much material and you're going to have instant access to things you just couldn't have access to on your own, you know? And I don't see why you wouldn't take advantage of every opportunity to support whatever cause it is that's dearest to your heart. Mine is education as the founders knew it and state sovereignty. And they let me off the leash, man, just do. And they would let anybody, you know, you get in there and you become a leader. And like I say, there's opportunities to, to lead because most people are these days are content to follow. So, and there's nothing wrong with that lead, follow, or get out of the way. You know, and so if you're a leader, there's leadership opportunities. If you're a follower, there's definitely follow. There's, you know, you'll be able to follow a lot of good people, you know. So it's one of those things. I don't understand the downside because, you know, it'd be one thing if it was an organization who was like, yeah, we, you know, if it was a full blown communist organization, right? It's like, yeah, we agree there should be no foreign wars, but we also want the income tax to be. 70% and we want single payer healthcare and we, you know, right. Right. There's no downside. You know, (laughs) there's, there's, uh, only there's, there's only tyranny and, and war. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's like whatever level you're at, whether it's local or foreign and, you know, the best way to minimize that is, is to try to, you know, localize it and, yeah, and that's one of the things I like best is they do have a very localized thing. It's very much your chapter will be your neighbors, you know, and you guys, you won't have to worry about having a Zoom call with people that you never meet. You'll be, you know, you'll be sitting there with people that, you know, it's at someone's house, you know, uh, it's very educational and it offers great tools. And I mean, at the end of the day, we all like to talk about the Sons of Liberty you know, uh, the loyal nine, those were clubs, man. Those were groups that people belong to. And it's not, it's not like the John Birch Society is going to put you on blast. It's not like Steve Johnson joined the John Birch Society. Let's, you know, be sure and dox him, everybody. You know, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Right. They're not going to do that. They don't need to do that. And so, um, they, I uh, I agree. I think it's definitely a worthy organization, something for, I think anybody who's, you know, in the Liberty movement or somebody who, who, you know, thinks education and thinks that, that learning about history is important. Any, anybody of that nature, you know, I think it's a worthy cause to, to look into and consider. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the the fact that, that they brought you on and, 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 uh, put this position together for you is, is I think a great sentiment to their commitment to, um, principles and, and first principles, um, you know, that being the constitution and, and, you know, what, um, you know, hopefully can, can rein in this, this, this terrorizing force that we call the federal government. 
Well, the Constitution and what's behind it. Right. You know, the, the philosophies. The, the natural law that undergirds it. And yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. I mean, for example, I remember being down that library and even in the bulletins and in the New America, the, the, and if you go to the New American site and it's like, if, you're, if your thing is the Federal Reserve, dude, you're going to have so much material. The Creature of Jekyll Island was first published by the John Birch Society, right? That's who published that book, y'all. And that's the kind of thing you're going to get if that's your jam, and, and it should be, you're going to get opportunities. To, you're going to get so many resources to learn about that and yeah. to learn more than you know now. It, it, you know, if you're one of those guys who think you know everything, then, you know, you probably don't want to join any organization because <laughs> no one's going to want to be around you. <laughs> but if you're someone that's willing and, you know, it's like it reminds me of uh, Thomas Gordon wrote an essay um, at the beginning of his translation of, of Sallust, the Roman historian Sallust. He wrote an essay at the beginning. He's like, look, let's all be honest with each other. People get defensive about their education. And so when you present them with new ideas, most people either A, act like they already knew it, or B, act like it's irrelevant and unimportant, right? That's what happens because people are jealous of their, you know, they're defensive of their, I don't want to be less educated than that guy. Dude, be less educated sometimes. Right. Be less educated. I, I saw a clip. I don't know if you saw this clip. Um, of it was an old clip of um, oh, what's the name of that show? American Idol. Okay, and it ha it's when Keith Urban, Jen, Jennifer Lopez, and Harry Connick Jr. were the guests, or the what do you call them? The, the judges. The judges. There you go. I was like, host. That's not the right word. The judges. Well, this girl walks in and she does her little thing, and Harry Connick's like, "Yeah, that's a thousand. You know, no." And Jenny or Jennifer Lopez and uh, Keith Urban were like, oh, that's so amazing. And Harry Connick was like, you know, you're doing the same five notes everybody does. And you're doing them in the way everybody does. And Jennifer Lopez was like, what are you talking about? And he turns around and schools them on pentatonics, on the scales, on all this stuff. And they're just like, why were we never taught this? He's like, I, I don't know. That's beautiful, man. You know, and that's the kind of thing. Be, be humble, man. Be humble. I learn stuff every dang day, and I'm so grateful to be it. Dude, think about it. I have eyes that work to read books. I have a brain that can, can um, interpret little black scratches on white paper into words and thoughts. That's a blessing, man, because there's so many people in this world who can't read, who can't see, who's who are born with, you know, defects of the mind and of the brain, and who are born into such impoverishment that reading a book on political philosophy is not something they could ever do. You know, they would ever have time to do when you're being, you know, when you're having a rope tied to your ankle and you're dangled down in a, you know, in a iridium or whatever it is. Uh, what's the thing in Africa? The mine, the, the metal that they use for the iPhones and stuff. Uh, lithium. Yeah. Lithium. You're not going to be pulled back out and handed Sydney, you know. Right. <laughs> and, and that's sad, but true. And so 
to think that we can sit there's with, you know, where much is given much is required. And we've been given an opportunity that we can, we can learn this, but you have to be humble, man. You have to learn to admit what you don't know and try to learn and be humble seeker of the truth. And if you are, man, the, the, the instant it's just like a switch is flipped and there's power that comes to you that would have been denied to you by your pride acting as bouncer. Right. You know, your pride saying, Nope, we know that you don't know it, man. And that's okay. You know, you don't know it. And there's a lot of, and that's what, you know, that's the whole Socrates. The wise man knows how little he knows. And fill in those blanks, man. Fill it in. I love that thing. But if you are if you are one of those people that are admitting, you know, that can admit to not knowing everything and can admit that maybe your education was not as squared away as it ought to have been, then there's no end of good work you can do through your own initiative, through your own efforts to learn and to interpret, to negotiate mentally with your new information and to move forward with it. And if it requires change, the journey up the mountain gets more and more glorious, the higher you go, you know, the, the more you're able to, um, you know, I, I find, you know, I, I consider myself, you know, mostly Mm self-educated, um, you know, when it, when it comes to this kind of stuff for sure. And, uh, um, you know, the, like, it's true the the it, it's rare air as you climb that mountain and um, it's it, it's exciting you know it's it, the journey becomes so exciting because it's it um, you realize how <clears throat> as an artist you know I can see like how things intertwine and you know you know th- philosophy and mathematics and religion and all these things ends up becoming you know that one great thing that we can look at and go man, man, we, we, you know, we can live in harmony and, and this isn't like some utopian, you know, BS of like, mm-hmm. you know, wh- what we're talking about is being able to live free and live together and communicate and, um, and prosper with one another, you know, without the need of some, uh, unholy hand just pushing down on, on, everything because we don't we don't even because we've we've swam in these waters for so long we have no idea um how how hard we've been pushed down and and it it, it's exciting to when you start to to realize these kind of things yeah and you can you literally in the state of liberty you can get what you want yeah where it becomes coercion you making someone else want what you want that's the problem People say you can't always get what you want. You absolutely can. You absolutely can in a state of liberty get what you want. You're just not allowed to force someone else to want what you want. Mm-hmm. And and I think and I talk to, you know, people that are very 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 far left. And I'm like, yeah, I could live I could live in a society, you know, in a state that the two of us live in, you know, conjoining states because I I don't want your laws but I'm fine trading with you and I'm fine agreeing not to steal from each other, not to kill each other, not right. to force our ideas on each other and live peace. Guys, it really, it really honestly does work. But 
okay, we so- have to get rid of those who who insist on my idea is so good I'm going to force you to do it. Okay, so I have a, I have a. This has been a conspiracy theory that I've been like mulling in my brain. I want to like. Okay. I'm throwing this out there, so feel free to totally. But here's here's one of my educational conspiracy theories. Okay. You know, when we talk about classical education, I know you love the Greeks and the Romans and all mm-hmm, that. Like, yeah, I know you do. But here's my theory: the reason we learn from the reason we we base our systems. And our education on them is because, for the most part, they are kind of a pro-state. Like, let me give an example. We never talk about like the German tribes that that lived in peace. The, the Romans talked about them, you know. But but it's kind of the same thing that you mentioned before. The the sound of freedom is silence. You know, there aren't you know great records of the warlords of you know, the Germanic tribes and, and of the, the Celtic tribes and things like that, 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 or, or the, the native American tribes and, um, here, you know, it's, it's, it's as if this, um, there's a, um, one of the reasons why we learn about great Greek and Roman things is because they become great States. Now, you know, I don't know what's causation and what is, you know, you know, chicken and egg kind of a thing, but, Anyway, that's my that's that's my no, theory I'm throwing out there. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things is, and, and yes, for the many people will say, "Oh, I don't read Sallust because he's pro uh, empire. I don't read Tacitus because he's pro empire." Who cares? Because at the end of the day, Tacitus does write a whole book about the German tribes and how amazing they are. Now, he let's say, for example, let's say this. Let's say Tacitus says. There's this German tribe, and they're so ridiculous that they they um, believe that you shouldn't go to war unless it's absolute. That's ridiculous. You should be. They believe you shouldn't conquer anyone. And if Tacitus says, "Isn't that stupid?" Well, that may be Tacitus' opinion, but you could read that and be like, "No, that's awesome." Who cares? You negotiate with the text, Tacitus. It's just the communicator. And so it's like when I'm reading, um, you know, something like Isocrates and he talks about, he has a, an essay called, well, sometimes they interpret it, as, they uh, translate it as on the peace, like P-E-A-C-E, but the real title is on the Confederacy. Now, but if you say on the Confederacy, people are like, that's about civil war. I ain't going to read that, traitors, pure own slavery, you know. <laughs> It's like, but it's called on the Confederacy, but you'll find if you Googled Isocrates on the peace, it's the best thing you'll read today, hands down. Outside of Holy Writ, it is the best thing you'll read today. And whether you agree with Isocrates' take on it, his observations provide you an opportunity to see how the ancients recognized these certain uh, situations. Like, when he talks about, well, when there's a confederacy of sovereigns, then the government of the confederacy has no authority if it ever acts in contravention of the benefit of one of the component sovereignties. Um, I mean, you know, let's take that and put it in. Let's teach that to some first graders instead of, you know, what's your pronoun, right? But 
Think of how they do it, Mike. They poison the well. There's all that delicious water, but they come along and say, Confederacy means pro-slavery. Plunk. Right. Drop the poison in that well. So when you hear the word Confederacy, you're like, whoop, nope, doesn't apply to the United States. Guess what, Slick? Federalist 39 says we are a Confederacy. I don't know what to tell you. Why did the Confederate States of America call themselves the Confederate? Why is it the Articles of Confederation? Right? Yeah. Why is Federalist 39, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47? Why do they all mention that? Because that's what's true. Right? But we're not taught that. Right? right. We're not taught that stuff. We're not taught that. But and we that's can. The- but now we have no excuse, mate. We have no excuse now not to be taught because freaking piece of glass that we carry around in our pocket, I can dial up Federalist 39 in a second. Now, whether I read it or not, watch. I mean, I'm just going to dial it up just for an example. Federalist, I'm going to spell it wrong, but Google will correct me. You don't even have to know how to spell, man. Federalist 39. Look at that. Right there. There you go. In English, available essentially for free. And what does it say? It says, this constitution, if approved, will form a a confederacy of sovereign states, not a national government. I don't have to give my opinion because little Jimmy Madison just gave it. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And guess what? You can argue with him all you want, but I got, I got a, you know, I got a, a clip full of bullets like this. Right. Right. And, if you want to build a case, we're never going to be taught that, dude. But you know what? Who freaking cares? Use. I'm not saying don't ever watch fail videos. Heaven knows I watch my share. Right. I love to see somebody slip on the ice and hurt themselves. But I spend way more time reading this because I see it. Yes, I get joy out of it. Right. People make fun of me because on my to-do list every day, I say something like pleasure reading. And so my friend who was spinning the night, he's like, what's your pleasure reading for today? I'm like, oh, I'm reading this uh, pamphlet that Sydney wrote as a uh, political pamphlet. He's like, that's what you do for work. And I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. I love it. But maybe you don't. And that's cool. But maybe you say to yourself, like book club, you and I belong to book club. Right. We're studying Plutarch. Man, we do that an hour a week. Dude, that's way less than we should, but way more than most people. Right. And that feels good. It feels good at the end of it to say, dude, I just studied Plutarch for an hour. And the benefits are just outweigh of that hour, just outweigh any kind of cost, you know? Right. Because you don't know. I'm talking to you, listener, watcher, whatever, viewer. You have no idea, A, who Plutarch is, B, what he wrote, and C, why it should matter to you. And guess what? Guess why you don't know that? Because the education gatekeepers don't want you to know. And that right there should be enough of an inspiration for you to go find out. The fact that someone in a suit in D.C. says, I don't want some kid in Arizona to know who Plutarch is, that should be enough to fire you up to get you to read Plutarch. That should be enough. You, th- that should be enough. Yep. The fact that somebody, Come anybody, on, Punk Crockett, go, go look it up. The fa- Exactly. You know, up up the establishment, right? The fact that somebody is stiff arming you, 
should be enough for you to say, I want to read that thing if for no other reason than to make that dude in that suit angry. Yep. To show him that he's not the boss of me. I'm not listening. I'm not going to listen to what you tell me to read when there's, I got this piece of glass in my pocket where I can read that stuff. Google it. I, I challenge you go right now, write a little list for yourself. I listened to Mike today. I heard someone mention Federalist 39. Dude, it'll take you 10 minutes to read it. And I heard Plutarch. Just read one of, dude, spend an hour today reading that stuff. And you don't know, that might be the hour that you're like, Dad, gum, everything I've ever been taught is a lie. But wouldn't you rather know that than to go persist on in your life decade after decade, not only believing, but perpetuating a lie? Yep. Come Most on, old, man. You've got to step up. Joey. What? Where can people find these amazing wisdom tidbits from the master? From, <laughs> from the I don't know from the master in the Bible from right. me for, you can find it from the master in the Bible um, but from me you can find well I must say I'm going to say honestly you can find words of the master in the Book of Mormon too right but you uh, you can find my stuff uh, I would I think the easiest place to go would be my YouTube channel Teacher of Liberty. I think if you go to my TikTok channel, I think it's Joe Wolverton 2, like the number two. Uh, I think those are the two places I would send you to for a basic education. But if you're at that point where you want to start actually not just consuming liberty, but working on behalf of liberty, I would go to jbs.org, you know, J, uh, JB, like boy, S, like Sam.org jbs.org at thenewamerican.com and sign up dude sign up just i mean it's it's very it's very cheap but you'll get uh, so much out of it and i i would love to see there be you know a hundred new people a day so we can get this thing done and like i say at the end of the day we can all sit when it's all when we've won and when there's gallows after gallows of tyrants twitching at the end of a rope then once we've tossed their bodies into the sea, then we can sit down and talk peacefully about our differences. But right now, let's focus on the things we have in common and finally, once and for all, act boldly for liberty, lest there come a day when we forget the glorious and charming sound. Mike is gone. You are listening to And If Love Remains. Gone but not forgotten. First of 23 installments requested by Dr. Levitt. Trying to be in compliance here because we're taking him and that whole organization.